everything, every single thing that has happened since humans walked the earth, since they first dipped their hand in a pigment and slapped it on rock, illustration has survived. It will absolutely continue to survive. Sometimes knowing what we want to do is only possible if we try it out first. Giuseppe Castellano had yet to learn what he wanted to do for a living. From studying architecture to design, he tried a bit of everything until he eventually became an art director for Penguin Random House and Simon and & Schuster. Today, he has his own online art school, the illustration department, with over 1,200 students and growing. And I'm not even talking about his podcast. How can someone's life take so many turns? Join us for this insightful interview to learn more about Giuseppe and what is illustration and how it differs from fine art, the secret to starting something and sticking with it, and is AI a threat to artists? Take us all the way back. Let's go into the very first memories you have of making art. When did it all, oh, when wow. did it all start? Yeah. I don't have this memory, but my mother does. <laughs> hmm. She tells she likes to tell this story, and she's probably told it a couple dozen times over the past few years. To anyone who will listen, I guess when I was two, she had taken me to Kmart, and I was sitting in the stroll in the little stroller or whatever, and drawing. My cousin and my aunt were with us, and my cousin's the same age. He was losing his mind apparently and having a temper tantrum, as two-year-olds. I want to do. And I apparently, from if my mother is to be believed, stopped drawing, looked up at my mother and said, he's a bad boy. And then went back down and started and kept drawing. I'm like, I mean, a two-year-old making that determination? We'll see. That's, that's the earliest memory that someone has had about me drawing. So you were basically making art while processing what was going on around you. I guess. Anya, between you and me, my mother likes to uh, embellish. It's not just your mother. Believe me, I have so many stories. I often wonder if they're out of, you know, taken out of movies or books or whatever <laughs> it's just too well they're your i mean our mothers are european mothers and exactly they love us and they like to just you know spin yarn and tell tall tales about our um awesomeness i guess exactly so just make it um way more apparent to the world and uh, let it flourish but exactly. what about your memory do you remember when you fell in love with art or when it became important to you? That's a good question. Yeah, actually. So I was in middle school and there was one constant that like constant source of joy at the time. And it was definitely art drawing video games, like, you know, the original Nintendo characters, Zelda, Mario, and then art class was my favorite class. because I felt like, and this is not, not hyperbole. This is not like me being my mother, but I felt like in art class, I was, you could, I was untouchable. Even mm -hmm. the bullies in the class, like I was so good at it and my teacher made a point to sort of point out like, Ooh, look at that, that I just was absolutely, you know, you were safe impervious. Yeah. And then when That's our class was over and we all walked out into the hallways, it started again. So that was the first time that I knew it was important. It was your safe zone, your go-to when things were too hard. And what kept you going? So that was middle school. Your, your career in art is extensive. And we will talk about all of that. You went from where to art director, and now you have your own school, you have your own podcast. Mm -hmm. So guide us here. So middle school, art, yours, your safe spot, your comfort zone. Yeah. What then? I mean, long story short, I was just, you know, it's just as, as, as any artist can relate to, 
you just kind of draw, you start drawing, you start painting, you start making stuff. And it's just, it's just a thing you do and it comes naturally. And then you realize like, wait a second, I'm actually fun and I'm pretty good at this. And someone told me that you can actually make a living at this. Hmm. And that was around high school. And, and so because I was good at it, um, I was able to get into a good private high school who had a fantastic art program. And um, I mean, we had to do like, a, we had a portfolio review. They, they, we had to do art tests to get in and got in. And through that, it just kind of started clicking. A lot of it started clicking. And then I started learning about, you know, you can make a living out of this. There are places, there are colleges specifically designed to teach artists art. And again, it's nothing like, you know, crazy or new, but that was basically it. And through high school, started winning awards and feeling like better about myself and feeling like this is, this is what I'm good at. This is what I know how to do. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And, you know, all the while my, my mother was like, yeah, absolutely. You're the best. You can do anything you want. <laughs> my dad was like, you can only be an architect or an engineer uh, because in his view, like that's how architects you make money. can draw. Yeah, exactly. If you can draw and you want to make money, the only two things you can do is architecture or engineering. He sounds like my I'm mom. Like, yeah. And uh, so I'm like, all right, I guess. So then I, said I was going to go to RISD and my dad said, okay, well, the only reason, the only way you're going to art school is if you study architecture. And then at the time I, at the, and genuinely I was like, okay, yeah, totally. I loved architecture. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually went to RISD for architecture. Wow. Um, but then quickly realized architecture was a lot of work and Very different. required a lot of math. And I just like mm -hmm. had a vision of me missing an inch on my design and the whole building, building collapsing. collapsing. So I was like, yeah, maybe I need to do something else. Um, so then I thought about painting because I wanted to be a fine artist. And then, you know, it's all, it's that whole immigrant, you know, you got to make money. You have to make money. So I was like, well, fine artists, I was told don't make a lot of money. What can I do? What can I do? So illustration, I looked at the illustration department at RISD and loved it, took it. Transferred. And that was that. Yeah. That's a good thing that you said that we didn't cover. European mother, immigrant, did you move into the U.S. when you were young or were you born there? I was born here. Okay. Your parents moved in before they had you. What are you thinking yeah. about? Nothing. I, well, no, just nothing. I mean, my, my, yeah, my parents came here. My dad, was, dad came here in 1966 and landed in Baltimore because he had like a distant cousin who lived in Baltimore. And so... The cousin picked him up and my dad took a boat. He was in steerage. I mean, it was very like the, you know, like the, out of the 1920s or something. Ellis Island was closed. So they had the ship, which was called the Michelangelo, weirdly enough, landed in New York. It was the first time my dad saw a black person. He was 16. And wow. he just saw, he was just like, what is this? I mean, he was a poor farm boy from Southern Italy. Uh, and now he's in New York City. Some cousin he hasn't seen in forever picks him up drives him down to Baltimore, and then that's where he settled. And then my mom came over a couple of years later, and then I was born in 77, and my parents were still, I guess that's why I'm smiling, because my parents were still, um, they weren't American citizens when I was born. Uh -huh. An interesting piece of information I've recently learned, huh. and, you know, just in the United States with politically, it seems like one there's one political party that doesn't, I guess, like, I would be included in, like, the whole, you know, I guess I'm not a legitimate American. That's what I was wondering. Life. If you're a parent, but yeah. you were born on American soil, therefore you should be considered American right. and. 
yeah. like double I mean, nationality sure I, I, Italian. I am, I am, but if I were born today, maybe. Well, politics in America don't really go well together, and they keep changing every yeah. year or so. So, on the day that you yeah, were that's born, that's a weird tangent. That's a weird tangent. But I was just curious because because I'm like, what's going on? There's something there. All right, so back to back to where we were. Uh, college illustration. When you were doing art back in middle school and high school, because I, I do realize that when you started taking it professionally, digital was mostly the way to go and we'll get there. But up until then, what were you doing? Was digital even part of the conversation? Were you just experimenting with a bunch of traditional media? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, yeah, Photoshop 1, I think, had come out. I mean, Photoshop was around. The first programs I remember learning was Quark 3, Photoshop 2, I think, at the time, and Illustrator wow. 2. And a few years, I was like, well, I, I think I'm going to be an editorial illustrator. Romare Bearden was, a, and still is, a, a huge influence of mine. And Steven Kroeniger other like collage artists. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of magazine. I was torturing a lot of magazines with <laughs> and uh, using a lot of glue and stuff and putting together illustrations. And my first published illustration was the cover of Brown University's magazine. And I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Awesome. Um, but then as again, the whole like immigrant, are you sure you want to do this? Because you're probably not going to make a lot of money early on. Creeped in. Then I thought, okay, I need a full-time job to help support this editorial thing I want to do. Found a design assistant position mm. at Simon & Schuster. Got it before I even graduated, which was awesome because I, the last couple of weeks at RISD was very chill. And then I got the job. And then it, and what ended up happening was I actually loved book design. I, had nothing, I knew nothing about book design. Barely knew how to use the programs. But I had enough of a portfolio and, you know, sweet-talked the manager enough to get her to hire me. And I mean, honestly, the entire interview was my mentor and former boss, Hani Emmer, as Simon Schuster, talking about the New York Mets. And I was talking about the Baltimore Orioles. And that was the conversation for one hour. Wow. And I got the job. He became your mentor after he got the job or did you know him pre prior to getting the job? No, I didn't. I didn't know no idea who she was. And then she hired me and he like immediately I realized, oh my God, this is a great decision. She's amazing. She's been in publishing for so long. And so she taught me literally everything. Back to you getting a job. Okay. So ba -bum, ba -bum, college illustration, uh, design and so Simon and Chester's. A lot of, a lot of bada bums. A lot of bada bums that's, in the middle, uh, which it, I mean, it does sound, okay. And this is on the record now. It does sound straightforward, but it is not because there's, a whole lot of decision-making that is not easy, especially when we're that young, what we're going to do with our lives when we don't even understand what a life is because things look one way when you're 18 and they look another way when you're 30, 40, 50, and I cannot even imagine, you yeah. know, 70. That's hard. So you've been slowly making your calls. You got your first job. What then? Well, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's a good point that I think a lot of illustrators and any really creative person should understand you know you get this question from time to time like how did you become an art director and the honest answer is i don't know right i don't know i i just kind of at the time eight you know when you're 20 21 22 you you're like i guess i'll be a design assistant at some place called simon and schuster and then one thing leads to another and that's how basically any creative practice goes you have a general idea where you want to go and you're going to bounce around a little bit i mean it's kind of like duck pin bowling you know you have those like walls on the side and you, you know the bowling ball down the down the lane it's going to bounce i mean it'll go the direction you want it to go if you have like a vision and a discipline and good work ethic and all that kind of stuff but it's gonna it's never a straight line you never plan out like i'm gonna be an art director 
And then you have to, I'm going to do on Tuesday, I'll do this. And then next month I'll do this, you know, but I mean, what then, I mean, 20 years go by and I sort of go up the corporate ladder in publishing, going from design assistant to art director at Simon & Schuster in charge of my own imprints, in charge of designers, you know, get married, start having kids, move over to Penguin, become an executive art director there. I was in charge of the second largest design team at Penguin. We had nine of us Mm -hmm. and we together, we designed about 200 books a year, children's books for kids ages zero to 16, Mm -hmm. um, every format, you know, and I got to work with Every kind of illustrator, every, I did, you know, designed every kind of book. It was, it was a wonderful time. I mean, it was just, and what, you know, the thing you sort of do once you realize, you know, you do something, I mean, just do something and give it some time. Maybe you end up realizing like, wait, this is actually what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I had no idea about book design. And then just a couple of years go by and I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do until I retire. That's the thing, right? Because when I talk to artists, it looks like there are two sides of the same coin which is I'm going to be an artist. And what that means is I'm going to paint beautiful pictures, traditional medium only, and travel the world. And that's a job and that's really hard to do, but it's amazing. And you just Mm -hmm. do your thing and paint or you're going into more of the, uh, you have the animation industry, the book industry, it's kind of interwined, but it looks more professional and serious and less freeing. But it's not like either or. They're very intertwined in a way that it's really, even for me now, it's kind of hard to see how intertwined they are. So you started off by, I just want to make art. And you ended up at that time, because we still moved on from there as an art director in a major company, working with Mm -hmm. hundreds of artists, winning a bunch Mm -hmm. of awards. Mm -hmm. And it was never your goal. Yeah, it wasn't. And, you know, everyone is different, obviously. There are some people who are planners and it works for them. And then there are some people who go by the, you know, seat of their pants and it works for them as well. And that's the thing also to remember is hardly any of this is formulaic and hardly any of us know what the secret is to like, okay, well, this is, if you, you want to do this, then X, Y, and Z is what you need to do. And even if you do X, Y, and Z, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't because the most frustrating thing about being an artist, as any artist can tell you, is it's incredibly subjective. You know, you have to kind of balance out, well, this is what I want to do, whether it's book design or animation or sculpture or content on social media. And uh, some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. No matter what it is that you do, there's always going to be times of your life where there'll be crickets. Mm-hmm. You'll just put stuff together and you'll design things and draw things and send them out and get yourself out there, get your work out there, and you'll get nothing. And you'll think like, am I wasting my time? And then there'll be some times where you do some stuff and send it out there and it gets a response. And how do you power through those times where you just hear crickets? (laughs) If I knew that, I'd bottle it and sell it. (laughs) Sheer passion? I mean, I actually, no, I don't, this, that's a good question. And this is definitely debatable. Um, It's, that sounds nice. I wish it were the case, but how like passionate can someone be every single day about something, right? Like my favorite thing in the world outside of my family and gardening (laughs) is Star Wars. It's my favorite thing in the world. 
I could talk to you about Star Wars for days at a time without pausing. And there are days where I just want to sit down and watch Return of the Jedi. And then there are days where I am so sick of Star Wars that I don't want to see anything. I don't want to hear about it. I don't care if there's a new TV show. Leave me alone. But it's like the most passionate. <laughs> it's like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So and art, I love art. I love being an artist. So I feel very lucky that I can draw and paint. Um, I sometimes um, say that artists are like Jedi. Whatever. Because we have a special power. That's beside the point. Um, see, and now I'm sort of talking about so. But my point is, like, is pa- passion? That was that sounds amazing, but I don't think it is passion. I think it's oh God. This is gonna sound like you know some stupid TED talk or a motivational poster on a college wall or something, college dorm room wall. It, it's it's determination, man. It's perseverance. It's the it's like the immigrant um, mentality on how to like like why do you leave your home country go somewhere where you don't know the language you have no money um, you don't know anyone you don't have any connections or privileges and yet somehow you feel like nope that's the place I need to go and you make it work how do you make it work because you wake up every morning again get your work done that's how you know and no one wants to hear that nobody wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I want it. I want it to be passion. I want to wake up in the morning and I want there to be unicorns and rainbows and I want like floating hearts and stars. And I just want to, you know, just float down the stairs to my drawing table and draw. <laughs> and every single drawing I do is wonderful. Like that's, I want that. A day but in Barbie land. reality. Yeah. What's that? A day in Barbie land. Just float down yeah. the stairs I mean, and every day is perfect. Exactly. That's I great. I could be wrong, man. I wish I were. I, I don't think I am, but it's a blue it's collar a reality. or something. Yeah. yeah. Just like you get up, you go to work. That's how. Exactly. And if, and, and look, I, I've had plenty of conversations with illustrators and I, I feel this way too, who are having a very tough time of it. It's, these are trying times for any artist, um, for a lot of reasons, layoffs, AI, all sorts of stuff going on. Well, then how do you like wake up and get through it without just giving up or just being like, you know what? feeling like helpless or something like this is all I know how to do is just continue to like put yourself into your work, put your best foot forward with your work and get your work out there. I mean, that's basically, those are the basic steps, man. Yeah. And I find it especially hard for the artists because there are so many kinds of jobs and some of them rely on logic. You wake up, you have spreadsheets to fill in, you have math and numbers to push and you have places to go to drive to or items to deliver there are things that are very practical there's a checklist or even if it's there's a bit of thinking there like being a lawyer there's a lot of work you need to do all the time and you keep studying and you keep reading books but for artists there's a lot of creativity in there Mm -hmm. and I I think there's a lot of I wouldn't say misconception, but there's this expectation that creativity, it's heavily linked to your emotional state. What do you think about that? Uh, That's a good observation. Yeah. And sometimes, man, it it is, and you're just in the zone and it's great. And other times you just, you can't make, you can't connect those two. It's like Doc Brown and Back to the Future. He's like struggling to (laughs) plug in the, antenna and sometimes it sometimes it it goes right together just like that and sometimes you you know you're hanging for dear life ready to 
fall to your death trying to get those two things to connect. Again, it's ebb and flow. Some days are great. Some days are terrible. Just keep on working. Just like anything in life. Literally anything in life. Anything you do. Parenthood. Uh, owning a home. You know, having relationships with friends and family. It's sometimes are great and sometimes are terrible. How, why is art any different? You know and that's I mean? what makes like, it why, special, why right? Feel like art is, yeah, exactly. Because when it goes right, you, it feels great because you know what it's like to feel the opposite. And that's mm -hmm. what makes life so special. It's, it's those mm -hmm. opposing moments that kind of happen one after the other that, that keeps us alive. Sure. So back to your story. So you were no. a penguin. So at a certain point in time, you ended up leaving Penguin and you founded your own school. Tell us about the founding of the illustration department. So what idea, so what sparked the idea of creating an online school? So you've been working on books for, you know, God knows how long. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to make a school. So tell us about that. That's an easy one. So I used to go to a lot of conferences. As you, I'm sure you are well aware of this. There's this feeling at this particular organization that runs these conferences that illustrators were being underserved. The big joke was that illustrators were the redheaded stepchildren hmm. in publishing because writers got all the accolades and all the credit and all the attention. Illustrators were just the mules with pencils. And I just really liked sharing what I learned in publishing. I did a lot of that through Twitter. Um, when Twitter was nice. And so I thought, you know, why don't I just put together just like a little service um, portfolio review, just like a couple things, you know, portfolio review, a mentorship, you know, something like that, a workshop and offer it and see where it goes and kind of do it on the side, you know, a couple sessions a week, maybe decided to call it the illustration department because at the time I really liked the band, the radio department. <laughs> I still like the band. I'm not ashamed to say that, not, nor should I be. And so I thought the illustration department was just a really obvious kind of name for something like that. Um, and I was worried actually about it for a while. I kept checking in with people that I trusted and, you know, my father-in-law and just my friends and like, does this feel like pay to play at all? Cause I'm an art director at a major publishing house. And now I'm going like, Hey, art illustrators, you can pay, you know, whatever it was at the time some amount of money for a portfolio review. It felt a little sketchy. Anyway, I'm glad I did it because I mean, at the end, it was, it's, I mean, the first year I'll be to full transparency. That first year it was I like, there was no, there was no like sense of scheduling, you know, mm -hmm. I'd be like, okay, one hour portfolio review. And then as you know, you can kind of guess I can talk. So it was, you know, an hour and a half. Um, it was just a little, it was a little sloppy, but um, you know, and then Sarah, my wife stepped in and, squared everything away. So now she's the managing director. <laughs> I'm the creative director. And uh, it's just been, that was 2015. Mm -hmm. And we've been growing just like gangbusters. Ever you since. have. So it's all started with portfolio reviews. And now you have yeah. an online school with how many students? I haven't checked in a little while, but last I checked, it was like 1,200. Congratulations in the podcast. So what came before the school or the podcast? Uh, definitely the school. Yeah. And then the podcast came, I mean, you know, and this is a little lesson, I guess, for a lot of anybody who wants to do anything, 
start somewhere. You know, it's not going to be perfect that first time. Believe mm-hmm. me, the illustration department was not perfect the first time. It's still not perfect. Nothing's ever perfect. Perfection is a mirage. But it started off, we had no social media presence, no podcast, no forum, no merchandise, no nothing. Um, and now we have all of those things. And it just, I mean, that was eight years of just kind of like, what else could we do? What else can we offer? Maybe we can talk to our friends to, you know, offer classes that I don't feel comfortable teaching or people that I know who know more about certain thing than I do, mm-hmm. like social media, for example, Anya. Thank you. Thank you. I did teach there for a while. I did. Yes, you did. Uh, so it looks to me that you focus first on substance rather than uh, awareness. So you were creating from the inside out. It, it, that's what it feels to me. So what yeah. led you to make that decision? So how would you figure out what to do first and what to do next? So how, how did that come to you? Um, kind of like how anything comes to anybody. You just kind of you think about it enough. Um, you'll start having ideas and then you make a determination on what the best idea is. Mm-hmm. And then you execute on that idea. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, there are some things that there are some classes that we offer that totally bombed. You know, there's some things that we've added and deleted and added again and deleted again. And again, it's just like. Iterating, iteration and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what the, the honestly, the, what's helped the most is trying just like getting, focusing on it and giving yourself like, how do I say this, sort of establishing a routine. And I think routines are incredibly important. Who doesn't think that? Routines are important, right? And if you establish a routine, you you kind of like train your brain to start like thinking about these important things that you want to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And the more you think about something, the you know, the more you realize like, oh wait a minute, that's a good idea. Let me try that. It's trial and error. So And you said a while ago that when you were working at the book industry, Mm -hmm. you saw yourself doing that until you retire, yet now you completely change your job. And I think that's amazing because life is, well, relatively speaking, so long. We change our minds and there are so many things that hit us differently at different times in life. So how do you feel about your job now? Oh, God. I mean, it's, I love it. It's great. It's like all the greatest aspects of being an art director, I've taken them with me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. And all the slightly more annoying aspects of being an art director, especially in corporate publishing, you know, Mm -hmm. meetings, uh, cover cover meetings, corporate uh, town halls, and all of that kind of stuff. We don't have to do any of that. Sarah and I, our meetings usually take place on our beautiful porch. Sipping a drink, beautiful backyard, like yeah, sipping something, Um, going like, what should we do about that? Oh, that. Okay, cool. And then you know, pour, pour, drink, drink it. So it's, yeah. And, um, I mean, I was a, I loved, I was a corporate citizen. I loved working in corporate world. It was very much part. I, it just aligned with all sorts of things for me. Um, I love being a, among a group of people. I loved talking. 
um, loved working on the books that we worked on. It was, it was perfection. It was truly a dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, this is better. Great. Because it's, uh, you know, maybe it's the immigrant thing again. It's, you know, all of my, my dad, all of my uncles, mm-hmm. you know, every, uh, you know, people in Italy, like my family in Italy, my family here, everybody owns a business. You're either, you, you run your own farm, you run your own pizza shop, you run your own hair salon, you you're, your own construction company. We're Italian. So those are the, the main ones. Um, and just, I feel like I'm carrying that tiny little bit of that tradition into this generation. So that's, that's personally, it's, that feels nice. And professionally, I've thoroughly just enjoyed helping illustrators take their next steps with whatever it is. And so many folks have signed on with agents, signed massive book deals unlocked something creatively within themselves so you know first they didn't know what they wanted to do and then by the end of the mentorships they know exactly what they want to do i know that all sounds kind of whatever braggadocious or whatever but it's true and i love it and i didn't like it early on like really your own business oh yeah i liked the like talking to illustrators part everything else i thoroughly loathed i just I didn't like being on my own. I didn't like being by myself. You had um, to learn. Yeah, you just have to learn. You were a very social butterfly kind of person. You were always running with people, and now you're running your own business, all the decisions. Completely are... by yourself. It was, and I uh, love it. Yeah, but you know what? That's another thing, too. It's like, I didn't love it, but I had to do it. And, and you give it time, and you end up falling in love with it later. And it, it seems to me that the, the most, the, the biggest aspect it feels like the biggest biggest aspect about teaching for you is really your students' success. Definitely. And you were yeah, saying sure. a while ago how you feel that the illustrator community is underserved and it's all about the author and you're very much focused about children's books with your school mm-hmm. and children's mm-hmm. book illustrator. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? So how do you help? You kind of touched upon it, but I'd like to dive in further. Being an illustrator, I've seen it. I've heard it felt it that illustration is like one of the greatest art forms ever it's you know first showed up in what is that can you france can you define illustration i think there's a lot of misconception misconception about what what is illustration that's a good question what is illustration well i mean simply put it's a way of communicating a story a concept a feeling visually for the purpose of communicating from you to someone. So it's a vehicle of communication through visualization. And that thing you want to communicate can be a lot of things. It can be a metaphor for life. It can be educational. It could be an inspirational concept of some sort. It can be information. It can be, uh, I mean, it's, it can kind of be anything like what you want to communicate out into the world. You can do it through a lot of different ways, musically, verbally, literally, whatever, but illustration is universal. You know, you don't have to understand any language to get what an illustrator is trying to tell you. And there are a lot of overlaps with fine art and illustration. Over the years, I've tried to come up with a really smart, you know, quippy kind of tweetable uh, definition, like a separation between fine art and illustration. The only thing I can think of is fine art, the value of fine art is in the piece itself. And the value of illustration is in the reproduction of the piece. 
is in the form, the media of communication of that piece through, through books, magazines, newspapers, websites. So not the like sharpest definition, it makes sense. but I think it's the most accurate. So you would say that a Mondrian painting would be in the fine art category because the values on the painting itself. I would. And see, that's, a, see, that's debatable. Because some people can say, well, Sistine Chapel is not an illustration. I say the Sistine Chapel is the largest illustration on this planet. It is absolutely an illustration. There's a story. Uh, Michelangelo was paid by a patron. He didn't do it just because he wanted to. He didn't do it because he felt like he needed to communicate something out from within, within himself. He got money from the church. And they were like, we want to inspire the people to follow our religion. Mm-hmm. So can you paint something on that wall? And he's like, yeah, no problem. I, you know, I was, I was sculpting some nudes out of marble a minute ago, but yeah, no, sure. I can take care of that. And so you would put it under the illustration category and not Absolutely. fine art. I mean, I could, you can make, and that's the thing, like fine art and illustration are not separate. There you go. They overlap a lot. You can say Caravaggio, every single Caravaggio painting is an illustration. It is. There's a story. He was paid by patrons for it for the paintings. And they're, I mean, they're illustrative. Or you can say they're an illustrative piece of fine art. I mean, it, I guess you don't really need to, def- I mean, you don't need to, this isn't like, I don't know. It's not olive oil either, and vinegar, either. olive oil and what yeah. oil and water. Yeah, it's not oil and water. It's uh, sugar and water. Different yet compatible. All right, now let's talk about art mediums just for fun. So I, I still feel like when I talk with Etcher students, when I talk with friends, art friends, when I talk with people who are not artists, but they like to talk about art, like there's this big separation between uh, being a professional artist and doing, you know, everything is digital, being a non-professional hobby, a hobbyist and, you know, using paints, which is drives me insane, actually. And I don't want to go on a full rant about digital versus traditional. That's not the point. That's not what I'm trying to get at. Yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> no, you do. no. Yes, you but, do. but hey, so, I mean, we have Quentin Blake and He uses ink and and watercolor. Come on. Cool. So your students, I'm sure they use plenty of different media to make books. Is there any rule on how you can make art for books? Does it have to be digital? So, so yeah. So, so talk us through that. So what, what do you need to do? Yeah, of course not. And and I'm going to fold that into the other question that I didn't answer that you asked. Like you said something about like, what are these students, like, what do they do and stuff? You know, there over the years, it's it's it varies wildly. But over the years, you know, people come to me and say, like, I want to work on my portfolio. I want to sign with an agent. I want a book deal. Um, I want to have an illustration published in you know Vanity Fair. Um, I want to illustrate for you know Airbnb or Google. Like they they come and they are like, I want to be a professional illustrator. I want to establish an illustration practice. That's the bulk of everyone who shows up. Mm-hmm. And so you know individually we talk like this like you and i are talking about their goals what they have experienced so far and what they would ideally like to experience and so we talk that through and we isolate what they do well we talk about what they're not doing so well and and then whatever it is that they whatever their goal is we kind of we work on through you know through assignments through you know portfolio reviews and all kind of stuff we just sort of like work through what needs to be worked through to get them closer to that goal or to help them hit that goal, which a lot of them have. And a lot of them work. See, I want to tie it all, fold it all right in. And a lot of them, and they all work completely differently. I think 
and watercolor, procreate, everything in between. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't, I don't know where this comes from. Actually, I do know where it comes from, and it's stupid. Can we please end this whole, like, you have to go digital. You have to go digital. You can draw however you like. There are plenty of wonderful artists who don't follow these, you know, fleeting trends of, you know, okay, you have to, everyone's working in Photoshop. I guess I have to learn Photoshop or everyone's learning Procreate. I guess I need an iPad now. If you want to do it, do it. It's wonderful. It's not less than or greater than traditional media. But for the love of God, if you do well, if you feel comfortable creating art with popsicle sticks, that's what you have to do. Like work out a method, discover what you're good at. And if it's like charcoal bricks and, you know, kids paint, like temper paint from like your kid's kindergarten class, that's it. That's your medium. Well, you know, I still go to the bookstore and I see all these books and they're all done digitally. Yeah. And end of observation. You can't make an observation about the entire illustration industry globally on one visit to one bookstore. You can't just go and see like seven books and be like, well, I guess everyone's going digital. No, what you've seen is the bookstore owners' uh, choices on which books to display on their table. That's all you saw. You didn't see the you didn't see the the every single illustration that's being commissioned at once. And yet, because we live in a society where people can see one thing and think a thousand things. They automatically, this is where it comes from. They automatically assume that, well, if one person's doing it, then everyone's doing it, which obviously is not true. And then there's trends. Now the trend that I see most of is children's books that are made with crayons and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But here's the thing, especially with children's books. Does this apply anywhere else? I don't think so. This applies to children's books. The problem with going to the bookstore and checking out those books and determining like everyone's doing this now. Everyone's, you know, drawing narwhals now. No, everyone was drawing narwhals two years ago because that's when that book was created or three years ago when that book was written. Two years ago, it was illustrated. Last year, six months ago, it was printed. So what you're seeing, this definitely applies just for books because um, obviously editorial and of course. advertising, it's qu much quicker, but those books you're seeing on the shelves and on online retailers that just come out. It's the result of choices made years ago. That's the like fallacy of trends, of following trends. You're not following diddly squat. You're discovering that somebody made a decision two years ago. Sorry, well, I'm gonna no, turn my I love rant, it. rant I love it. down. No, I love the passion that it was bowling. I love it. Oh I was just trying. Like, I, I, you know, if it was just delicious. like every now and then I heard that, I'd be like, oh, whatever, it's fine. It's like every day. It's every day. I'll every, see damn day. every damn day. And then I'll see something like, I'll see a portfolio and the work is like, meh. Then I'll check out like their Instagram or something. And they will have posted something that they drew with color pencil. And that's amazing. Oh, that's just like a thing I did on the side. I'm like, nope, that's it. That's how you should be drawing your work. That's how you should be creating your work. Really? Because I was at a conference and they said, you know, I did a portfolio review with blah, blah, blah. And they said, I need to work digitally. 
what do you think you need to do? Like make your own calls. No, that's great. All right. Before we wrap up the interview, we're coming to a close here. <laughs> we're going to end on a rant. We're, that's we're the like, best. That's that, like, I, I love ending calls. on rants because <laughs> you, you, rants is what gets me like psyched up and ready to go do something. So that's the best way to like, oh, you're feeling like energized now. So that's where we wrap up. So you grab that energy. You grab some pencils and have fun right now. Get to it, man. Yep, Feed, exactly. uh, <laughs> last words to our listeners, words of advice. Oh my gosh. Words of advice. You already said a couple that were great, by the way. So I'm just fishing no. for more. See, now I feel bad because I ask when I do my podcast, the illustration department podcast, by the way, when I do my podcast, I will ask them basically, you know, what do you, what piece of advice do you have? And now I can, I feel, I know it was on, I don't always do this, but I'm like, I'm going to ask you, Seppi. I just want him to feel uh, what I felt when he interviewed me back in the revenge. Words of advice. All right. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it a little topical. It won't be universal. Well, maybe it is universal, but I'll make it sort of topical, like relative to what's been going on these days. Illustration has been around for thousands of years. It showed up in cave paintings. It's survived the invention of photography. It's survived every recession we've ever had, every depression that we've ever had, every war that we've ever had, the invention of the computer, the invention of Photoshop, everything. Every single thing that has happened since humans walked the earth, since they first dipped their hand in a pigment and slapped it on rock, illustration has survived. It will absolutely continue to survive. So if you think that because of AI that you need to quit being an illustrator and start being a barista or whatever, don't. Trust me, it will live on. It will get stronger. How do I know that? Just look at anything that's ever happened when there's like a digital equivalent of something. And then everyone starts panicking like, well, that's the end of that. Like music. Music was made with actual instruments for the longest time. Then, you know, electronica came around or computers came around and everyone said, well, I guess that's the end of that. No. Really like any, I don't know, panicky kind of reaction to anything, take with a grain of salt. Don't ignore it. Like, I'm not saying AI is like, whatever. It's troubling. It's art theft. It's copyright infringement. It is not what, like how other people in the illustration podcast community at least say, it's a neat tool. It's not a neat tool. It's a crappy shortcut. It is not real. It's like, I've been thinking about this a lot lately about AI. Like, what actually is AI? Like, what is the meta? What is the sort of analogy? I can't, it's not a great one, but it's the one I've thought of the most recent, most recently. It's like riding a bike in real life through your wherever. It smells great, feels great. You, you're actually doing something physical and it's, you feel it, smell it, you see it. You might actually have experiences you never even planned you'd have. Like you'd stop and go, wow, that's a deer. Let me stop and take a picture. You're having these actual real experiences and feelings, reactions versus sitting on a stationary bike at a gym or whatever, staring at a screen of a woodland scene. Well, what, which, what, what ride do you want to take today? Well, I'll take the woodland one or I'll take, you know, Amsterdam. Riding a stationary bike in Pennsylvania while, you know, looking at the streets of Amsterdam in video form is not the same as going to Amsterdam and riding my bike there. AI is the stationary bike. It's the shortcut. The real bike is illustration. And I mean, when the stationary, when was the stationary bike invented? Did it eliminate bikes? Of course not. I think biking is probably more popular now than it's ever been. Illustration will be more popular moving forward than it's ever been. That's my prediction. You can hold me to it.
What was your favorite part of the episode? Join us at etcherlab.com forward slash GC, that's the letters G and C, and tell us all about it in the comment section. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, just use the comment section below, please. Again, all of the links can be found on the post associated with this episode at etcherlab.com forward slash GC. I hope you enjoyed this interview and I hope to see you next time and until then, make more art!